You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day. Stay at Whole Foods Market. What time is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. That's yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them all. What are you doing down here, you Johnny man? Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast with Owen McDevitt, Kieran Murphy, and Ken Early. Hello there. Kieran Murphy and Ken Early. Now, well, I'm doing great, Ken. I'm doing just fine because now that Ireland are safely through to the Euros. I can properly enjoy the stories of the other teams who've made it mm-hmm. without being envious of them or just not caring about them. You know that kind of way? Yeah, yeah. So that's how I came to be watching Zlatan. Well, actually, I watched the last few minutes of the game in Slovenia. Yeah. Slovenia, Ukraine, which created the very strange phenomenon of a three-on-none attack. Well, a three-on-goalkeeper attack yeah. towards the end. The, fi- the last defender from Slovenia had slipped and let the ball in as they were pressing for a goal. I think they might have even needed two goals at that stage. So Ukraine ended up with a, just three <laughs> players bearing down the goalkeeper, something you don't see too often at the professional level. Nerdy screwed it up and managed to score a goal. But that's not what I care about, Ken. I care about Zlatan firing in two amazing goals against Denmark on Tuesday night mm. and celebrating by claiming that he'd sent their whole nation into retirement. Yes, uh, he's retired Denmark. Probably on pretty generous uh, pension, uh, given the given the setup uh, that we all know exists in those uh, Scandinavian countries. But you know, uh, retirement it, actually is brilliant in Denmark. It's it's not it's not seen as an insult at all. No, to retire someone in Denmark is to give them a lavish pension for the rest of their lives. It's kind of like earthly Valhalla. Yeah, we uh, thank you, Zlatan, for retiring us all. Denmark thus became, um, thus share with Holland the ignominy of being countries that qualified for Euro 88, that somehow failed to qualify for <laughs> Euro Euro 2016. Um, and I can't, who was it who tweeted us with the thing? Someone was, was tweeting us a map, uh, two maps saying... Bob Fox. Bob Fox. It's a good name, that's... He sounds like a, a US newscaster, Bob Fox. It's hard to get any less letters. For more on this latest story, <laughs> let's join Bob, Bob Fox, Fox at the scene. Uh, so Bob um, tweeted us two maps. Uh, one of them was Euro 88 and one of them was Euro 2016. Now, okay, the fact is, right, there are a lot more countries in Euro 2016. That's basically what this point was making. It was kind of saying, oh, not exactly that exclusive a club. Uh, when you look at it, um, pretty much everybody 
is involved in Euro 2016, apart from this uh, unfortunate strip of countries sort of beginning around Estonia and extending down in a, in a belt along the east of Europe there, Poland are obviously in, but like and, and Hungary too, but a lot of the kind of Balkan uh, some of the Balkan countries didn't make well, it. Well, surely that line starts in Finland as well. Don't tell me Finland are in Euro 2016. As well, uh, no, no Finland. No, I don't think so. Um, and Norway. Norway not either. Sweden are obviously. So the, the, basically, it, the line starts uh, at Oslo, goes around in a loop, and then down towards the Mediterranean. That's basically it. More or less. More or less. Um, Denmark and Holland are, are obviously... Uh, not involved either. But anyway, the point is, there. Are, okay, so there are three times as many countries. Big deal. There are three times no, three times as many countries in this tournament as there were in 88, and there were also way more countries in Europe. Yeah, the, the map didn't tell us anything we didn't already know. Yeah. I we, mean, the, the fact of the matter is, whatever, it's a two, one for every two countries in Europe are going to be at Euro 20, 2016. We are in the happy position where we are going to Euro 2016. I'm not that bothered about yeah, this. It's great. And because we're there, we can be happy also for Sweden. We don't have to have as you set on that sort of sense of every time a friend succeeds a little piece of me dies we don't have to have that feeling on this occasion it's okay we're we're succeeding it's okay for other people to succeed too we'll talk about Zlatan's success in a little while and we're also going to be chatting to Sid Lowe about the Classico which is on on Saturday uh, but I should mention by the way there is a bonus celebratory podcast already out there we came in on Tuesday to record I would say a fun filled happy show after Ireland qualified at the expense of Bosnia so you can have a listen to that if you didn't happen to pick it up at the time right now let's get into Kennedy's report on sport so uh, Owen I mean it's all about uh, parables at times in this world of football uh, sometimes um the men who make it to the top of the coaching game are those who are best able to communicate ideas, football ideas, in accessible ways. Um, I mean, there are lots of different strengths that a coach can have. You remember Chile's coach, Cesar Sampaoli, I hope, from the World Cup? Yeah. A muscular, bald man. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, he, he seemed a, a physical, a whirlwind of, of energy, uh, quite intense in his manner. But also, it turns out, a great communicator, a man who's able to explain the game in terms that even Kieran Murphy over there will be able to understand. <laughs> I just saw that one coming. But anyway, on you go, Ken. Uh, Chile, beaten by Uruguay. Uh, 73% possession they had. Uh, Chile had. Uh, uh, Jorge Sampaoli Jorge, Jorge says, One night, I went to a bar. I was with a woman. We talked all night. We laughed. We flirted. I even paid for several drinks of hers. At around 5 a.m., a guy came in, grabbed her by the arm, and took her to the bathroom. He made love to her, and she left with him. That doesn't matter, because I had most of the possession on that night. <laughs> so, uh, there you go. That's Wow. That's, that's what possession means mm-hmm. in the... <laughs> <laughs> in the world of Jorge Sampaoli, Jorge Sampaoli, who I think I might have called Cesar earlier. You, know, you, did. Was, yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah but it's a Jorge. So, uh, so there you go. It's a it's a bit Ian Holloway, isn't it? Ian Holloway had a had a something a bit along those lines. He didn't actually make. See the difference between Ian Holloway. Um, Ian Holloway was essentially explaining a result in in terms of being out. And he had some uh, remarks. Oh, yeah, this is what he said. To put it in gentleman's terms, 
if you've been out for a night and you're looking for a young lady and you pull one, some weeks they're good looking, most weeks they're not the best. Our performance today would have been not the best looking bird, but at least we got her in the taxi. She wasn't the best looking lady we ended up taking home, but she was very pleasant and very nice, so thanks very much. Let's have a coffee. That's uh, good gentlemanly terms there, uh, Ian. So that's, uh, you see, but he fails to, I mean, he, he's, you know, he, he has this, you know, sexist uh, comparison to, you know, what, to what the result has been, which is a decent result without a good performance. But he has failed to do what Sampaoli has done, which is to make a philosophical point, to make a point about the game itself. But there's been more clarity in the communication from Sampaoli, I would say. Very much so. Uh, You're not left in a whole lot of doubt. No, there's a ra- rather a more Fairness. punchy end game to it. Yeah. Um, so where were we? Uh, we should talk. We should mention Sha- uh, Xavi. We're going to talk to Sid in a little while about uh, about the forthcoming Real Madrid Barcelona match. Um, Xavi is an interview with Andy Mitten, where he says uh, essentially gives Cristiano Ronaldo a little bit of credit for making Lionel Messi the man that he is. He says um, uh, he says Messi's the best ever. Uh, he says Pelé and, and Maradona both made a huge difference, but football has evolved, says player of this generation. The players are better than they were. The game is better physically, ta- tactically, technically, and psychologically. Football is better than ever. And Messi stands out as the best in the best time in the history of football. But he wouldn't be as good without Ronaldo. He wouldn't have won all those Ballon d'Or. And I don't think Ronaldo would have won them all too. They push each other. The, the difference between the two is that while they're both great goal scorers, Messi is much more involved in the play of the team. I must say, I don't think I agree with that at all. I think that if if Ronaldo wasn't there, Messi just would have won all those Ballon d'Or. That's what I mean. That's honestly what I think. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe twenty fourteen. He didn't have that good a year. He had he had injuries. He didn't play his best football. Maybe somebody else might have had a chance that year. He might have won all those Ballon d'Ors, but could could then suffer in terms of his legacy by people saying, "Well, it's just." There's a paucity of great players. There's nobody to compare him with. Mm. For example, Wayne Rooney has never got to that level that people thought he might. Zlatan is overrated. I don't think Zlatan is overrated, but this is the argument that people make. Mm. So just Ronaldo's sheer presence, the, peop- the fact that people are aware that there is another all-time great mm. in, in Messi's era maybe lends a certain amount of... Just gives gives a, a better benchmark against players who've gone before. Yeah, it does. I mean, uh, I, I do. I do think they have pushed each other. I think the com- the the competition actually has had more of an effect on Ronaldo's side. I think he's the one who's more um, focused on it. And I'd say he would not have reached the level that he had had Messi not done this. But I think that it's Messi who's been kind of almost doing what comes naturally. Is to Messi him. a lot more involved in the play of the team? In the play of the team. Yeah, the second part of Xabi's point there. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, definitely. Well, by miles. There's a video, actually, I just tweeted earlier on, on um, coincidentally, that you should say that. Messi, the playmaker, which features uh, Lionel Messi setting up chances for people with this kind of um, uh, meandering, jazzy soundtrack. Which <laughs> God, they're so annoying, aren't they? Jazzy soundtrack. <laughs> let's really just all stay silent for a second and think about how annoying jazzy soundtracks are. Um... Well, it is. Well, Silence, Ken. Um, really I, annoying. I don't know yeah. if you can... Yeah. Well, you know, it's just him setting up chance after chance for people. And the thing is that they don't score them all. A lot of these are missed chances. So it, it over time creates the impression that Messi is surrounded by idiots. You know, uh, Neymar, Suarez, uh, Di Maria, uh, Higuain, you know, all these 
all these clowns who, uh, who who mess up the chances that he's continually creating. That's the effect from watching video. But you know, there, you can't make a video like this of Cristiano Ronaldo. You can make a pretty good video of him bursting the net from all kinds of angles, but you can't make a video of him setting up chance after chance, beating two men and playing a through ball. It doesn't really happen. He does in his defence offer himself, and this is something that I the only time I ever saw the two of them play together in the same pitch in a Clasico. I was quite blown away by Ronaldo's willingness to take on the dirty ball. If, mm. if Casillas is in any trouble at all, he's calling it onto his head and there's no great personal gain to what's about to happen next because he'll just have to head the ball on. And This is in the middle of the Mourinho era where they weren't playing the most attractive football against Barcelona. Mm. Uh, he was sh- showing for absolutely everything. That, that's the only defence I, I would make of Ronaldo. It's not as though he just hangs around waiting for the chance. But ultimately, if he does get the ball... Anywhere within 50 yards of the goal, he's not thinking assist. No, he's not. And, you know, he often scores and better yeah. than uh, most players in that sort of position. But um, so that, that match is on, on on Saturday. We don't know if Messi's even going to play yet. Um, we'll talk to Sid about it. Uh, Neymar uh, is back playing for Brazil now. He had his, uh, you know, suspension after he had headbutted a guy in the Copa America. He's back now. <laughs> and they beat Peru 3 0. Uh, and Neymar, for some reason, Neymar, incidentally, whose father is moaning about uh, the tax set up in Spain and talking about how he might have to move, went up to the referee with his shirt and like went to give the referee his shirt at the end of the game. The referee luckily had his wits about him and put his hands behind his back and sort of kind of arched his body away from Neymar as though ne- you know he was Dracula and Neymar was holding him a piece of garlic. It's like, what do you think you're doing exactly? You can't give me that. I can't accept your shirt at the end of a game that your team is just... Please! Not in the pitch, at least. No, come I on. Mean, give, you know, if you want to give it to me later on, absolutely, please. And if you could sign it a couple of times and, and, and put it you know, to days. my daughters. Uh, but <laughs> trying to give him, trying to give him the, the shirt in the field, was, I thought was an amazing uh, silly gesture by uh, Neymar. Luckily, the referee uh, wasn't stupid enough to accept it. But um, speaking of those national team shirts... Um, FIFA had confirmed their presidential candidates. Tokyo Sechuale is one of those. And his great idea is to allow uh, national teams to have shirt sponsors at the World Cup. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Why not have? Why not just have shirt sponsors in international football as well? That's a really good idea from him. I mean, at the moment, I, I don't really understand, though, why a FIFA president would advocate this, given that at the moment FIFA controls all the commercial space and can make more money as a result of their control. Every every logo that you see at the World Cup, FIFA is getting paid for you to see it. You know what I mean? With the exception, I guess, of shirt manufacturers who don't actually sponsor, shirt manufacturers who aren't Adidas. Why not have each individual player sponsored? Well, and like it's, Formula One. Well, yeah, no, and it, so the commentator was announced Slatan sponsored by Coca-Cola. Well, then I, I suppose everybody would Slide be able to make even more money. Yeah. And Tokyo Sestrali might be, it looks as though he might be uh, happy with that idea. But I mean, if this is the kind of if this is the kind of level of stuff which is being offered up by the people to succeed, uh, Bladder, you, you aren't really that optimistic no. about um, Anyway, here's an interesting little story um, appearing in the Liverpool Echo uh, about England's new hero, Deli Ali. Deli Ali scored... Uh, a nice goal for England against France uh, and played very well. And people were saying, wow, he's like he's like Pogba, only better. He's like the, he's English Pogba, but better. Mm-hmm. Didn't see Pogba scoring a great goal, dominating the midfield. And um, 
It turns out he's a massive Liverpool fan. Uh, the Liverpool Echo reports, I remember Istanbul, the FA Cup final, and the game against the Libyakos. Steven Jared just scoring amazing goals. Jared was a big influence on in why I supported Liverpool, said Deli Ali 19. Delhi Ali 19, so he would have been, what, nine, when possibly eight, when, uh, uh, when Liverpool won the Champions League in 2005. But of course, Owen, who does Delhi Ali play for? Is it Liverpool Football Club? Not yet. No, it's no, no, it's not Liverpool Football Club. It's Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, who signed him from MK Dons, paying five million for a player who was then only what sixteen years old. Um, you know what happened there, Owen? Go on. Who do you think? Who do you think stuck their oar in? A, a whole set of oars. There was a there was a possible move being lined up for Deli Ali. But then a bunch of people came along with a bunch of oars and stuck. Is that the TC, is it? Yeah. Transfer committee? The transfer committee. The transfer committee. Rode up. Apparently. Big busload of them. Former Liverpool boss Brendan Rodgers monitored his progress closely uh, throughout uh, his, his time at MK Dons, often sending scouts to check on his progress and receiving regular updates on the midfielder from MK Dons boss Carl Robinson who had previously coached at Liverpool's Kirkby Academy. Uh, Mel Johnson, former Liverpool scout, pushed for a move to go through. But when negotiations over potential transfer began, the fee and add-ons kept rising. While Rodgers was keen to push the deal through, other members of the club's transfer committee were not so convinced. Mm. Well, all I can... What can I say to that, Owen? All I can say is... Uh, that transfer committee just keeps making a mess of it. I wonder where the story came from, though. That is, yeah. I wonder where that story originated. Oh, what, do you the, know? The, the information. Yeah. Well, who comes out of that looking like... <laughs> first, well, first of all, a man who can spot... Or a woman, I should say. A man or a woman who can spot a good talent. There, other people then in the story also seem hamstrung by members of a bureaucracy who yeah. have managed to emerge unscathed from recent events, who, whose reputation has not been shredded. Uh, and who continue to earn a vast sum yeah. from the game of game of football? Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. I, I don't know if we'll ever get to the bottom of that. Uh, just the last one. You spoke of a, of a bureaucracy. Um, Louis van Gaal uh, was speaking to the League Managers Association, and uh, uh, listen to how he describes the modern job of being a manager. I mean, of course, he is in a large part responsible for how people tend to interpret the job of being a manager. He says. Uh, feedback is very important, of course, but I have to say that because if I don't say that, then I'm arrogant. Uh, but he says, I'm also an innovator, and I have changed a lot in terms of preparing for games. I was the first coach who was with a notebook. Now everybody's with a notebook. I was the first coach who used a video. Now everybody uses a video. <laughs> was he the first coach with a notebook? <laughs> I doubt it. I seriously doubt it. But he reckons he is. Uh, he says, I'm from a time where you did everything, the manager that is. Now I'm the manager and I have a sports science department. I have a scouting department. I have a medical department. I have assistant managers. I have assistant coaches. I don't do anything. Nothing. I delegate. I delegate and I earn a lot of money. <laughs> That's Louis van Gaal's description of the... Modern day job of football management, which Ooh. he obviously largely helped to create. That's it for Kennedy's report on sport.
We're joined now by Anders Bengtsson, uh, the editor-in-chief of Offside Magazine, to talk about the brilliant qualification of Sweden at the expense of Denmark for the Euros. Anders, we saw amazing scenes at the end where Zlatan was on his knees when the whistle goes, surrounded by all these loving players almost as though he was a sort of a godlike figure. Is that how he's seen by his teammates? Yeah, uh, I have to say. You know, before the game and for the past couple of months, everyone thought that this might be Slatan's last game uh, for the national team. So I guess from a selfish point of view, I was quite pleased that we actually qualify for the uh, for France next summer because then we have to see, then we'll get to see Slatan a couple more times. Uh, but, you know, he's, I don't think. Uh, first of all, congratulations to you guys. Oh, thanks <laughs> so much, Anders. Yes, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. You, we'll see you over there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, but I think that people don't really understand how important he is. Just not only for the national team, but for for us as a publication. Because if we put Slatan on the cover of our magazine, we sell like two thousand more copies. Uh, so he's very, very important for many, many people. And you know, he scored. I think he scored eleven of the last. 15 goals uh, in the uh, qualifying uh, campaign, yeah. uh, which is quite impressive in itself. And he scored three important goals against Denmark, and two of those were uh, like world-class, uh, the free kick and the first goal against Denmark in the second game. Uh, so, yeah, he's, uh, I can't really ex- express how important he is. I remember... Um I remember in the 2002 World Cup when he was he was obviously a young player. Um, yeah. He was kind of seen as a bit of an upstart. Um, yeah. He he had a big uh, a row on the field with Anders Svensson. I think missed a chance, and Zlatan's like, you know, why did you miss that chance, you idiot? Mm. And uh, he was quite unpopular at that stage. It was like this guy doesn't know how to be a team player. It's a remarkable yeah. uh, evolution that he's undergone from 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 being the upstart to being the king. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and also I think that when, when, like you said, when he fell down on the pitch, just when the um, whistle had uh, gone uh, in Copenhagen the other night, I have never really seen Slatan that happy or that you know uh, relieved, you know, because this really meant something to him. The Swedish national team really means something to him, and I haven't had that feeling uh, lately. 
I felt more like, oh, let's go and do this, play these games because I have to. Uh, everyone uh, expects me to be great. But now when I saw this, I really feel that this is this is more important than I really thought. But like you said, uh, when he came through, it's uh, been 15 years ago he made his uh, debut in the national team. Uh, I think it was in 2000. Yeah, in 2000. And uh, back then, everyone thought that he was you know, this cocky guy uh, who talked more than he played, uh, in a sense. And during the years, he had this, would you say, his controversies with teammates. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said Anders Svensson has been uh, Kim Kjellström. He said that you only should play as a left back the other like a couple of years ago because you're not that good so you shouldn't shouldn't be playing central midfield and uh, he's been doing this but everyone in the team they really look up to him and they they kind of deal with him being this kind of uh god like uh, person and uh, they kind of you know understand that this is the way he needs to be to to be able to perform. He needs to have those kind of triggers, you know. He needs to have you know, enemies to perform. And sometimes he creates those enemies himself within the team. Uh, and sometimes that affects his teammates. Yeah, it sounds as, as though that's changed now, though. I was That was something else that I was struck by, the fact that his teammates... I suppose when you've just qualified for a major tournament it's always going to look like there's a good team spirit there. But when you see Cristiano Ronaldo play for Real Madrid sometimes, mm. I'm, I'm never fully sure how warm some of the celebrations are when he scores a goal from some mm. of the team. I mean, they look happy enough, but I don't know if there's a genuine warmth. Do, do the other players actually like Slatan? Do they get on with him on a personal yeah. level? Yeah, he's very popular. And every time, you know, there are debutants in the team, they always say that, yes, yeah, Slatan is the first person to come come to me in the dressing room or first person to send me a text and uh, after the like the the team have have uh, been spreading all over Europe he always sends texts well done uh, look forward to see you next time and stuff like this so he's 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 a natural captain for the for the team and he really looks looks after the the younger ones uh, and uh, I have never really uh, heard of anyone uh, in the national team that hasn't really liked him. So, uh, and I think in 2002 and 2004 even, when we were playing in Portugal, he was a bit immature, uh, both on and off the pitch. But now he's very, you know, he's uh, very, what should you say, both brave. He's uh, getting more and more, you know, getting a political stand. And he talks about that. We have to help, you know, the immigrants from Syria and stuff like this. He also, off the pitch, is taking more responsibilities, and uh, people in Sweden love that, uh, loving it even more uh, because he's uh, he's uh, more immature and taking more responsibilities. Well, this is something we want to ask you, Anders, because um, I noticed this. He does this on, say, Instagram a lot. He he's always uh, putting up posts about the new Sweden. Um, and, he, and he's with like various teammates, whatever, who have immigrant backgrounds, as he does. Mm. Do you think that he's actually trying to change the country a little bit? Because I remember in his in his autobiography, which mm. okay, but there was some poetic license. I think the the, the writer said, yeah, maybe I, I I put some words in his mouth. But he, you know, when he was a kid, he always seemed a bit resentful of this kind of blonde, rich, repressed Sweden that, and he was like this outsider. Uh, and now it's like he's kind of trying to change the nature of the, the kind of country that Sweden is. Mm. 
Also, I think Sweden is a completely different country today than when Zlatan was young. Uh, uh, but like you said, you know, when he came through, he never really had any uh, idols that were Swedish football players. He, he di- didn't even know who Thomas Berlin was, uh, who was like the world star in, in uh, 1994. And uh, he all only had like idols of Ronaldo or uh, Maradona or whatever, international uh, kind of players. So he never really connected to Sweden in a sense when he was younger. But today I feel like he's, he's um, when political issues uh, are uh, presented to him, he always almost uh, says that, well, I, I don't want to talk about politics. I don't um, I'm a football player, and uh, in football, everyone is, uh, you know, welcome. It's uh, it's a religion in itself. Uh, but uh, lately, uh, he has been more. Uh, he, he did one interview with uh, the biggest uh, newspaper in Sweden a couple of weeks ago, Dagens Nyheter, and uh, in that he he was speaking that about the right wing uh, extremists and uh, stuff like this, and said that this is this is shit. This is not something that we should tolerate. We have to stand up for, you know, humanity and stuff like this. So uh, I think that, uh, in a sense, he could do a lot more because he's that big in Sweden. So he could really kill a lot of the shit that is going on. Um, but also I think that he's he might be doing that in a couple of years when he really retired as a football player. Then I think he can step up and, and do some really good stuff. Yeah, I mean, that sounds sounds interesting to, to think that he could have that sort of influence. But I did notice, I mean, people talk about oh, the Swedish national team will be in trouble when Zlatan retires because he's so important. But they did win the Euros, the under-21 Euros. Yeah. So it seems like they must have some good players. I did notice maybe a bit of Zlatan's influence in the behaviour of uh, John Guidetti. I wondered if, uh, how this went down. John Guidetti, after, after Sweden beat Denmark, had a... <laughs> On the field, a big interview where he, he uh, you know, attacked Denmark and, and kind of insulted them. This is in the under-21s. The under-21s, yeah. yeah. And he said they were embarrassing. They're the worst team we've come yeah. up against. I wonder if when someone other than Zlatan says that kind of thing, whether it seems as funny to people. Yeah, I think John Gudetti is, is uh, one of a kind, I think. He's, uh, he has this uh, really huge personality. So he's, an, I think, an exception. But... I think within the national team, there are a few guys like Erkan Sengin and uh, Durmas and the other guys with some kind of, you know, with not Swedish kind of parents, you know, and they really look, look up to him. And in a sense, they are trying to copy the way Slatan is, like being a bit, you know, cocky against journalists or being, uh, you know, witty in interviews and stuff like this. And uh, But they are more like the kind version, version of Slatan. Uh, but like you said, the under 21s, we won the European Championship of summer. And that's, I've been quite critical against Eric Hamrin, our coach, because he has really, you know, given them many chances to, to, um, express themselves or even get some playing time. There's only like Oscar Levicki who played, uh, both games against Denmark, uh, central midfielder. He's played for Malmö. And uh, he's really good, and he's probably a uh, player that will start next uh, summer, uh, because we have a very old team in Sweden. It's uh, I think uh, the average age, age is probably around 30, 
which is quite uh, old. And uh, it's time for uh, Eric Cameron to put younger ones through because even though I'm, I'm not sure we're going to qualify from the group next summer, we're not that good. We only have start and it's world class. Then we have like an Irish team, I guess, quality <laughs> uh, wise. Uh, so I think it's going to be really tough. So in that sense, I would really like to see the younger one get some experience because we have a really tough World Cup, World Cup uh, qualifying group. So yeah. and uh, yeah. Well, Anders, listen, congratulations on qualifying for the Euro. And thanks very much for talking to us. No worries. Thank you. See if you don't get this out with Motherwell, you're away, mate. Your bags and your desk, boom. Your bags and your desk, boom. I mean it, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big Terry Butcher in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no peep, I take no peep, I take no, I take no, I take no peep. Just say what's up, I don't gotta get some peep. You know me, but I can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. Listen to fans. He's not even fucking working on it. You are nothing. You are a fool. And you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get a grip! He's the biggest fool in Manchester. Well, there you go. That's Anders Benson of Offside Magazine, editor-in-chief of Offside Magazine. No offence taken, we should say there, if Anders is listening. Right, we, well, essentially, Sweden equals Ireland. Sweden equals Ireland plus Zlatan. Yeah. Sweden without Zlatan is, oh, God. What is the most apocalyptic football vista I can present what, for what these is, people there? What country is synonymous with the most basic imaginable <laughs> football team? Who are the most basic team at the 2016 Euros? You know, a team yeah. made up of just faceless drones. Well, look, I th- you know, all I'm saying is Europe might be in for a bit of a surprise. You know? Could be. Europe thinks it knows what to, what to expect from the Republic of Ireland. But, you know, maybe... Uh, We're not actually that big at all. We haven't ever that's got crazy. out of a That's the surprise that's waiting for Europe. We have never got out of a group at the Euros. It's true. And we'll probably keep that record going for another competition. All I'm saying, Owen, is that you never know. Interesting that... It seemed as though Anders talking about Zlatan there feels that he does have something about him for post-football that he can actually make a difference in the country. I didn't necessarily realise that that's quite how highly he was viewed by people within Sweden. His story is absolutely amazing. You've touched on it there, the background that he came from, the sense of alienation that he felt, and this is all in the book, even if there's a certain amount of poetic licence taken, uh, unless it's all completely made up, it uh, it seems quite clear that he did feel like an outsider. He didn't feel Swedish at all for a long time. Mm. And now he's this beacon of hope for his country yeah which is pretty amazing um yeah and kind of changing their style um i mean i think it's you know he, he used to be kind of angry at sweden and it's kind of a, because sweden obviously loves him so much it's kind of now being accepted as their great champion actually means a lot to him you know what i mean i've yeah. kind of come and uh, conquered let's say and uh yeah i suppose it will be interesting to see uh his next move, although the, he's still he's still at PSG, and and so, although he says he's leaving PSG this summer, um, I think he'll probably play for at least another year or two. The Clasico is on on Saturday, and Sid Lowe is ready to chat about that. But Sid, the last time we talked to you, you left us all on tender hooks. You were we were talking about the release of the Ronaldo movie, which has since come out. What are your um, what are your impressions of it so far? You've watched some of it. Yeah, I've got about twenty minutes left. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> actually, sitting here watching at the moment. Uh, it's. Um, I mean, to some extent, obviously, I, I kind of um, may be conditioned by the various reviews I've read, by the fact that I've now I've now read uh, Guillaume Balaguer's biography of him. But 
but it, it's a very it's a very strange film, I think, and it's a it's a particularly strange film when you put it in the context of of what it is. In other words, that this is the image that that they wanted to portray, um, and, and and on some levels, it, it it's almost surprisingly honest, although that doesn't entirely appear to be the intention. If you see what I mean, I think I think it's we get we get a very a, a very curious look at him, um, and, and and one that I suspect is probably broadly true that the, the the kind of sense of isolation, the sense of pressure on him, um, the the way that, that that everything kind of revolves around him, the way that his family relates to him, and and, and in particular the role in throughout the film, and, and almost it's it's as much about Mendes almost as it is about Ronaldo. I think is is really interesting. Um, it's 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 a very very curious kind of film it's, i mean it genuinely probably is worth watching but but maybe not entirely for the reasons they intended yeah mendez is is, is kind of the um steals the steals the movie in in a, in a way he's, he's kind of the dominant figure you can see in ronaldo's life i wonder um uh how it all how it all looks i mean his clear importance in Ronaldo. he's almost the link between ronaldo and the outside world and mm. Uh, you know, given everything that's going on there at the moment, I mean, we can talk about this now. This, this sort of um, it appears that the relationship between Real Madrid and Ronaldo is is foundering at the moment a little bit. Uh, but clearly, if that is happening, then it's probably mainly Mendez's work because he's the only one. He's the only link between the two sides, as as far as I can make out. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that obviously does happen is that however however significant Mendes is the the kind of the day-to-day relationship in the in the dressing room of course is Ronaldo's and Ronaldo's alone at that point he doesn't have that that same support network although of course he has friends within the Real Madrid team although unless it happens in the last 15 or so minutes of the film which I haven't yet seen um, we don't see Marcelo or Pepe for example in this film we don't see friends that are teammates except in a, in a team context yeah you only you, quite... you, you, you only see Pepe in a Portugal context you don't, yes, we you don't see actually Pepe see briefly, briefly celebrating him singing the song on the plane that's the only bit I've seen so far yeah um, and, and it's it, that is quite curious, and, I, and but I think obviously that element of his relationship with with either teammates or the club or, or, or even the fans, of course, he has to kind of play out with without Mendes. So I think one of the other things that's significant about everything that we've seen over the last couple of weeks in terms of in terms of those kind of outward signs of of the way that Ronaldo's relationship is or, or, or potentially is with, with, with Florentino Perez, the, the president, and the way that he kind of quite openly flirted both with Paris Saint-Germain's owner and, of course, with the manager. Um, I think one of the significant things about that is that it was open, that, that all, everything that happened happened in the knowledge that this was going to be picked up. And, and that does then make you think how much of this is a game, how much of it is a strategy, how much of it is, de- is deliberately sought. I mean, even, for example, that... that Seemingly, um, kind of, uh, what would you call it? I suppose that, that that seemingly private exchange between Ronaldo and, and Florentino Perez when the, when Ronaldo is turning up at the Santiago Bernabeu for the game against Paris Saint Germain, and Florentino says, "Well, what did you say?" And of course, he's referring to Ronaldo having said in, in kicker, I think it was, that that you know he can see himself at another club at some stage. That why would he necessarily stay at Real Madrid forever? And Ronaldo walks past and saying, "It wasn't like that. It wasn't like that." And, and he walks off, and and that appears to be a, a grabbed. Uh, fleeting glimpse of a, of a private moment, but this um, this kind of part of the pre-match routine, the players arriving at the stadium, the president standing there to shake their hands as they come into the ground, that's something that both president and player know is filmed because that point at which the cameras pick those players come up coming in, that that camera is there every game, 
uh, and, and all the more so in the Champions League game. So, so I think even then you, you have to look at it in the context of this is something that they know will be expressed beyond just a conversation between the two of them. Yeah. At the moment, they, they do have this situation where it seems as though uh, this, I mean, they've got obviously the two big stars of the club. There's Cristiano Ronaldo, who's been, the, you know, one of the greatest players in the history of the club. Maybe now is, is beginning to change as a player. It seems to be in a, you know, his mood seems to have worsened um, as his powers begin to wane a little bit. And then they've got Gareth Bale, who um, certainly in the, you know, in every, in every account that you read seems to be not... The most respected player at the club, but the favourite one, or at least the personal project of uh, the president, who loses face if Gareth Bale fails. Uh, and they, it, there does seem to be a kind of a growing consensus that they're not going to continue with both of these players at the club next season. So what do you think is going to happen? Well, I, th- I think as well, it's, it's again worth going back to that same point, of that, that sense of things happening um, kind of, behind people's backs or behind closed doors, but at the same time being very public. So, for example, it's important not just um, to, to to bear in mind what the club's plans for Gareth Bale are, but also to bear in mind what teammates of Bale's suspect that the club's plans for Gareth Bale are. In other words, one of, one of the things that happens at Real Madrid that I think makes everything so difficult is that nobody sees anything, um, or, or very rarely do people see things purely at face value. You know, players naturally have a tendency to be suspicious about why, why in this case, Bale, or whether it's Bale or Hamis or Isco, whoever it may be, why is he playing and not him? Players have a tendency to see favouritism. They have a tendency to, to, to see a, a lack of justice, even when there is justice. And I think that, that, that muddies the waters and it, and it conditions relationships. Um, and certainly, I think, I think there's no doubt that the, the idea that, that Florentino Perez, the Real Madrid president, has is that Bale will be... The, the star player at some stage, that Bale is the person who takes over from Ronaldo. I think we're seeing some of that this year. And, of course, this, again, comes back to that same point. This year, when he's played, because, of course, he's been injured a bit, so we, we, we're not entirely sure how this will pan out over the course of the season, but certainly the, at the, st- the start of the season when he was fit, um, the, the new formation that Benitez had put into place um, was a formation in which Bale played behind the forward as the... I wouldn't quite call it a number 10, but it's sort of a number 10 role, which is a role that Bale wanted to play, that Bale's um, entourage, in other words, his his agent, the people around him wanted him to play. And that desire was expressed to the club's president. And therefore, it's impossible. I genuinely do think the word is impossible. It's impossible for other teammates, for people around the club, to believe that Bale is playing as number 10 purely because the manager thinks, hey, tactically, this is a good idea. There's always that, that that other layer, and of course that that changes the nature of his relationship with other players now. And I think this 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 all comes together. The idea that Bale will be the star of Real Madrid that is the idea the president has. It doesn't mean it, it will necessarily get there, but certainly he sees a um, the the medium term or possibly even immediate term plan, which is that. Ronaldo will, of course, go, because at some stage Ronaldo will go, or at least that's the likelihood. And Bale becomes a superstar. Obviously, a lot can happen between now and then. Another another great striker in the world may emerge who decides to try and sign. It may well be that Hamis continues to progress as he has done so far, and, and he starts thinking, OK, well, this is actually the star player that we should be putting our weight behind. But there's no doubt that the, the, the president has invested a lot in Bale, and not just the, whatever it is, 103 million euros that it costs to sign him, but, but the, the sense of supporting him as a project, the sense of the idea that this is the guy who's going to be kind of my big success. Because I think underpinning all of this, 
um, even if only in a kind of subconscious way, is uh, an, an inescapable fact, which is that Cristiano Ronaldo wasn't Florentino Pérez signing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of incredible that that's still so important to him. Uh, after so many, <laughs> he's I mean, delivered quite well. Because people kind there. of, you no, know... That, that kind of... This, this, is, this is one of the problems that Real Madrid is. I think even if... Even if these ideas can be kind of let go by some people, they will never be let go by everybody. And so it stays in the mind. It stays as part of, if you like, kind of part of that swirl of pressure and, 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 and suspicion and, um, and favoritism and so on, which even when it's not real, it, it still matters. Myths matter because people believe in myths. Um, and so, so and that, that conditions the, the environment in which, in which Real Madrid exists. Well, Talk to me then about another one of his, uh, a guy who he definitely did sign, or at least I'm pretty sure he signed, Karen Benzema. Um, mm. When I read about Karen Benzema at the moment, it's, it says Benzema uh, looking good to start El Clasico, which is good news for Real Madrid, certainly in one way Benzema is one of the most important players. But yeah, there has been a lot of bad news about Karen Benzema in, um, over the last couple of weeks. I mean, a lot of very serious news. It's, not, it's none of these bruised feelings of, you know, superstars and political machinations of presidents. This is quite a serious issue that's affected Karen Benzema. I mean, is everybody just sort of ignoring this? Is it, are they happy just to, to let this situation go on until uh, the French police say otherwise? Well, I think... Um, let, let me try and redefine your phrase. Is everybody happy to let this just go on until the French police decide otherwise happy probably not but i think they 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 have virtually no choice but to do that um that, that you know benzema so long as benzema is is um is able to to focus on playing as perhaps the, the 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 normality for want of a better word of of continuing to train playing matches is, is beneficial for him in terms of the pressure and the sense of, of, of kind of continuing his life um, while, while they wait for, for what happens next. So I, I think that, that will be what happens. That's not to say everybody's happy with it. Of course, there's concern about it. I think one of the things that's really interesting um, about this, and, and again, it was another demonstration, and, and I, I too am uncomfortable about, about always seeing the other angle when it comes to the pressure that surrounds clubs like Madrid and Barcelona, or always seeing something else. But, but the reality is it's there, and, and, and nothing is quite what it seems, because these are clubs that live in a, in a very propagandistic reality as well. Um, and so one of the things that was interesting was when, when the story first broke that Benzema was in France, in Versailles, um, talking to police, obviously the initial reaction is one of, wow, there's a footballer talking to police, that, that's serious. We, and, and of course there was an awareness this, that this was to do with the, um, the, the, the allegations of blackmail towards Val Buena. Very quickly, um, very quickly stories emerged. Look, he's gone, stories emerged saying he's gone voluntarily, He's just he's just helping out. He's basically giving his view of it because, of course, he's Valbuena's friend. But he spoke to Valbuena, and over the course of the day, the story kept shifting. But hang on, now he's staying overnight. Well, that's not normally something that happens to someone who who, who has gone there to volunteer information, who is just helping out. And, and it was interesting to see which elements, interesting and, and also instructive, I think, to see which elements of the media pushed which parts of the story, and bit by bit, either had to back away from their story or reinforce them. And then, of course, we get to the point where. Ben is being charged. Still, presumption of innocence is, is, is vital here. But, of course, again, we're back in a, in a similar situation in which some elements of the media are presuming innocence and others are presuming the lack of innocence. Almost, And almost you could see beforehand, you knew beforehand, which ones would go in which directions. Um, and and on, on one level, of course, that's extremely sad. Um, and, and I think that's been very, very interesting. What Real Madrid do now, of course, is 
is, as you, as you said, is, is wait, because I'm not really sure there's very, very much else that they can do. What they can do is, is get, get him fit, because, of course, he's, he's not been fully fit either. Try and, um, from their point of view, because he's a footballing asset, because they say that they believe entirely in, in his innocence. And, of course, um, if they do, then, then until they're told otherwise, it's, it's quite right that they should continue to support him. That's what they'll do now. And, and, and obviously, they will hope that this, that this doesn't, doesn't um, become seriously problematic as, as the case progresses. It's not just Real Madrid, of course. More than anything else, perhaps this has a huge impact on, on, on France as well for the European Championships. Yep. What about Messi's fitness, Sid? Is he going to be out there at any stage? Luis Suarez said something yesterday, which I thought was uh, was quite interesting. Luis Suarez said, "Well, we we don't know if he's if he's ready to ready to start or ready to start on the bench, which I suppose is one way of saying, well, he's ready to play." Then um, the assumption I think most people are making is that that he will play, but probably not uh, in the starting eleven. Although I'm not completely ruling it out. The, in a way, I think what's kind of interesting is the process, is the way that this has changed emotionally. Everybody, the story has been messy. Of course, it has. Uh, headline on Thursday, Messi's running. Headline on Sunday, Messi's now kicking the ball. Uh, on Tuesday, he plays a practice game and scores a goal. It's like, so Messi is dominating the, the story in the build-up to the Classico, but the tone has changed. When Messi was injured, I remember one of the headlines in, I think it was El Mundo Deportivo, one of the two Catalan papers, was basically gulp. Everyone was terrified. The idea that Barcelona would be at without Messi for 10, 10, day, 10 games rather, and desperately hoping that the return would be the Clasico. Now, of course, everyone still hopes the return is the Clasico, but the, it's excitement now rather than desperation. It's not Messi come back and rescue it. It's, wow, they've actually been very good without Messi. Imagine how good they could be with him. Because, of course, both Messi and Suarez have, have uh, sorry, both um, Suarez and Neymar have really stepped up, and in particular Neymar, to lead Barcelona. They've scored 16 of Barcelona's 16 goals since Messi's been out. And I think that, that desperation has, has gone and it's, it's been replaced by, by excitement now, which, which in itself I think is a really interesting process. And we, we certainly have seen, and to take this back to the very start of our conversation about Cristiano Ronaldo and the big obsession in the film is about being the best in the world, being the Ballon d'Or winner. I think we're genuinely in a situation now where it's perfectly plausible, possibly even correct, that Ronaldo doesn't even get on the podium at the Ballon d'Or now because we've seen, obviously, Messi has been the outstanding player over the last year, but Neymar and Suarez were already possibly the second or third outstanding players in 2015. And at the start of this season, and in Messi's absence even more so, and Neymar has been absolutely fantastic. That's it. We're excited about the game now. Listen, brilliant stuff. Thanks a million. My pleasure. That's pretty interesting that Messi, his return is being seen as with excitement rather than desperation from the Barcelona fans. That's what happens, I suppose, when you've got a bunch of other world-class players. Luis Suarez and Neymar, you know, these guys would be by far the best player in any other team. Uh, I mean, what Sid is saying, I think they could, well, actually be the podium. They probably won't be because it just won't work out that way, but they probably should be in terms of the three best players in the world. Do you agree that the movie is strange? It's amazing. It's honestly really amazing. There's There's a truly incredible scene in it when uh, which shows uh, I think George Mendes is almost the most interesting character Ronaldo is interesting but he's kind of simple in a way I mean I don't mean simple like simple minded I mean he, the, you know his world is quite simple he, he he's kind of uh, cut the outside out of his world like he's, he's there he's walking around this big house saying I just like to come here and get away from the internet you know from news from everything because I know that I'm going to be going back to that world um, it's just him and, you know, Cristiano Jr. and his mother and like a couple of friends who he might have around. And the outside world is very much not a factor. The dynamic between him and 
uh, his son is is almost seems more like a, between like a big brother and a kid brother, mm-hmm. you know, than a father son. I mean, he kind of he he addresses that issue a little bit. You know, he says something like, "You know, I, I will eventually tell uh, Cristiano uh, Junior um, about his mother and and all this kind of thing," because you know the, the mother is a non factor yeah. in the child's life. You know, which which I always think I think is a bit strange. I mean, Ronaldo says, "You know, I'm never going to speak about it. You know, we're not going to talk about that." You're going to think it's not just. Your decision. No, it's not all about you there. But, you know, okay, nobody really knows exactly what's going on there. Uh, the, the scene that I was referring to, the really remarkable scene, though, is one which involves George Mendes. And it's a, it's a big dinner table scene. Uh, there's, uh, the, I think they've had a match earlier on, and there's loads of people there, you know, Ronaldo's brother, his mother, um, a couple of, like, his, his business associates, managers, agents, or whatever, and George Mendes. And... Uh, there's, there's quite a lot of wine been drunk at this meal, right. by the way, because you see the whole table is covered in wine glasses. George Mendes stands up and he goes, oh, you know, first of all, turns to Ronaldo's brother. And he says, oh, it's amazing now to think that you've been through some dark times. You've been through some dark times. He's, he's speaking in Portuguese. I'm, I'm you know, trans- paraphrasing, <laughs> wow. paraphrasing. You've been through some dark times. He, he, he refers to the fact that Ronaldo's brother had previously had problems with drugs, you know, addiction. So now runs a lot of Ronaldo's uh, business concerns. Now you you know you you're doing great. You know you've got some amazing prospects. You know you've done so well. You know I've got so much respect for you. You know kind of hugs him and everyone's like yeah. Then he turns around and he's like hey, to to Ronaldo's mother and he's like if it wasn't you know after the mother I had you're the mother I would have wanted to have. You're the, you're the mother I would have wanted to have had. Uh, and and then yeah. gives her a hug and everyone's like yeah. And then my special son. Right, he says to, and Ronaldo's there, kind of, oh, you know, kind of simpering up at him. And then George Mendes kind of comes over, like pushes the other people out of the way, comes over to stand next to Ronaldo, and he's like, oh, you know. Ronaldo then stands up, the better to sort of receive this. <laughs> you get the impression something like this might have happened a few times before in their relationship. And he goes, it makes me so proud to be able to fight for you every day. Every day I fight for you. And he's going absolutely <laughs> ballistic. You want to see him like oh, hand gestures, his face is sort of contorted. But whatever I do for you, it wouldn't, it couldn't be enough. I could do twice as much and it still wouldn't come close to your value. <laughs> oh, he's the best you are in terms of sporting qualities, in terms of human qualities, the greatest. You are the greatest I've ever seen. You know, he's a mo- and turns around to the other people at the table. He's like, he's a monster. He's the greatest footballer in the world. He's the greatest sportsman in the history of the world. The whole world is going to know this. The whole world will will know this. Nobody will be able to doubt it. For you, I will fight for you every day. It makes me so bad. I want to be able to do it with conviction. I want to be able to deserve it. And Ronaldo is literally just kind of, you know, kind of actually beaming down. You can see that he loves this. He's just like being completely love-bombed by, like, glamoured by this guy who reminds you of, you know, David Miscavige or one of these kinds of people. One of these kind of you know, to, to to completely blow someone away with love and praise, such that they're like, oh, <laughs> practically, you know, orgasmic. You know, Ronaldo is kind of in this blissed out, post-orgasmic state that that, that Mendes has managed to put him in. But it, it was like, wow, this is what it is. This is what a super agent does. This is like what's required at the top of the game. Don't, don't sit there and think as though you're going to talk to this guy as, a, you know, as another human being. You are the first worshipper, or at least that's the way Mendes is doing it. And Ronaldo's like, you know, oh, you know, a toast to George. And then they kind of hug each other. And someone else at the table says something like, give him an Oscar. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's obviously somebody at the table has some 
ironic kind of or capacity for irony left. But this is like two bottles of wine. It's like, (laughs) I don't care. I can't listen to this anymore. I I can't listen to another (laughs) one of these love bombings. But but that's what Mendez does. That's that's how he operates. And then, you know, and, and he's the person Ronaldo trusts the most, you know, who isn't literally his own mother. And he's kind of controlling the link between Ronaldo and the outside world. So you can imagine how it is when any, whatever anybody some looks funny at Ronaldo. Ronaldo's like, what about that? He, you know, George, what do you think? You know what I mean? It's yeah, just, this is the guy. There's a real, um, it's, it's an amazing scene to see. Okay. Uh, it, it was an eye-opening scene for me in terms of, wow, this is, there literally is no overstatement that you could make. If you want to be an agent to one of these guys, you, or at least in the George Mendes style, as far as you can go and then just twice as far as that again, as passionately as you can go over the top in your in your praise and adoration of them and then just see if you can squeeze an extra little bit out. And that's the key or one of the keys. Amazing. And it sounds absolutely amazing. Uh, but I still haven't seen it, Ken. After bigging it up in advance, <laughs> I kind of just forgot. There was a lot going on with the years and so forth. I will get to it as soon as possible. If you've been a regular listener over the years, you've almost certainly asked us one question at some point because just about everybody has. What happened to Ken Early when he played for Marseille? What exactly went down between Ken and Basil Bowley? Mm. You've been asked that at least I mean, I, I a few thousand times. I, I, I can't move in this city anymore for people walking up to me and asking me, don't waste any of your time. Just give me a quick yes or no. <laughs> Ken Early, Marseille, yes, it happened. No, it didn't happen. Just please, quickly. And I would just run away. Well, don't give it away now because you can find out all the gory details in the Second Captain Sports Annual Volume 1. I've got a physical copy of the book in my hand. It's back from the printers. It's about to hit Easton's and all good bookstores. It's available now to pre-order on secondcaptains.com. It's not just the whole... So I should explain. The whole book isn't about Ken Early's Marseille years. I, th- I wanted it to be, but I was ultimately outvoted on that mm. one. There's lots more besides that, but that uh, it's one of my favourite parts. I'll tell you that for nothing. Thanks very much, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Kieran. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Owen. And thank you, Kieran. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 